0: Yeah, um, Michael Flake, one of the other pastors here. Great to be together as a church family. You, Dr. Bud, was talking about the back to school breakout right now. What's happening right now is Davidson churches or area churches are coming together to be an overflow shelter for the women's shelter down in Charlotte. And we've had some two dozen folks from Lake Forest Davidson be a part of that. So thank you very much for serving in that way. And uh, we're collecting these supplies for the back-to-school breakout. If you do want to serve, uh, Dr. Bud said the sign-up was online. If you're newer, you may not always know where these things are. But if you go to lakeforest.org, click Davidson. And from there, there's a big thing at the top that says back-to-school breakout. You would click on that, and that's where the sign-up, the sign-up would be. That, I think I just described two to three clicks. So hopefully, you can make that happen. If for some reason that's intimidating to you, ask a friend for help. That would be good. Well, whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread God's love by serving others. Today we want to continue in our summer series on the book of Proverbs. Throughout the summer we've been studying this book in the Old Testament called Proverbs. The hope of Proverbs is that you would become wise, that you would have wisdom so that you could live well and live wisely this life that God has given to you. So we've got two weeks left. Today I want to look at what, we've looked at some of the major topics in the book of Proverbs. So today I want to look at what Proverbs says on the topic of finances. And then next week I want to wrap up by looking at what it says on the topic of relationships. Then we'll be done. We'll be all proverbed out. So next week, relationships. This week, finances. Finances can be a source of great anxiety for many of us in other news, the Pope is Catholic. You already knew that. Finances can cause a lot of friction in marriages, arguments within families. Some people leave their churches because they talk too much about money. And that may be the case, and it may also be true that some folks are a little hypersensitive on the subject of money, so bringing it up once would constitute talking too much about money. Now, I'm not convinced that our finances are any more out of control than the rest of our lives, it's just that we can't hide from the numbers. Like every week, every month, every year, the numbers tell us how it's going, and the numbers don't lie. Even when we encourage the numbers to lie, the numbers do not lie. And then you'll have this funny thing happen, you'll meet somebody or a group of people or a couple or whatever, and they've pretty well wrangled their finances. And they don't seem so stressed out about it. It doesn't seem to be a source of anxiety for them. It's like money is no big deal. They have become good managers of the finances that God has entrusted to them, and their money seems to bring them little to no anxiety. It's not necessarily that they have more money than you do or that I do. It's just they manage it well. They see it as a gift from God. They manage God's gift well. Proverbs thirteen seven says, one person pretends to be rich, yet has Nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. God is pointing out here that there is perception and there is reality. So, when it comes to finances, is your view, is my view of finances based on perception or on reality? Some years ago, a consulting group had an event for millionaires. They wanted to learn about millionaires. I'm guessing to ultimately try to sell them things, but at first they just wanted to learn about them, and so they invited all these millionaires to come to this event, and so they had what you, you know, fancy wines and fancy cheeses and crackers for the fancy cheeses, and so the millionaires came and like their fancy cars and their fancy outfits, and I'm not sure why I just did that when I said fancy outfits, but, you know, you get, you get the idea. They showed up, they uh, uh, drank the wine, ate the cheese, told the consultants what they wanted, and then went on their way. Then the consultants started to analyze the information they had gotten at this event. And what they realized is that almost no one they had had invited was actually a millionaire. Some of them actually had more debts than assets. So some of them weren't even hundredaires. And so they tried again. And this time, they only invited people that they knew had more than a million dollars on a balance sheet, and they made three observations about this actual millionaire group. They looked uncomfortable in fancy clothes, they only ate the crackers, and most of them had on a $25 wristwatch. The people were so unassuming, the consultants began to call them the millionaires next door, In other words, this consulting group spent a lot of money to learn what God had revealed to Solomon, had revealed to us in the Proverbs, which is when it comes to finances, there is perception and there is reality, and there is an appearance and there is a substance and they are not often the same thing. And God has set me as a Christian, God has set me free from the need to keep up appearances so that I can instead f- work on being a person of real substance. So that you are, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, or if you ever become a Christian, God has set you free to be a person of true substance. Not just a person always trying to keep up appearances, but a person of true substance. So let's be sure that our view of finances is based on substance, the substance, the wisdom that God reveals to us through the book of Proverbs, not just appearances, not just the glittering images that we might see in media or in social media. We want to pay a little less attention to the fancy car, fancy clothes version of finances so that we might pay a little more attention to the $25 wristwatch view of finances so uh, throughout the book of proverbs i would say there's largely four themes finance related themes throughout the book of proverbs there may be more but these are the four i found so i'm going to tell them to you now call the sermon and we'll be done all right number one number one number 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 one according to proverbs ingredients of well-managed finances number one is diligent and ethical work over time diligent and ethical work over time Proverbs 12:11 says those who work their land will have abundant food but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Proverbs 12:11 is pointing out that get-rich-quick schemes are typically light on the get-rich quick and heavy on the scheme. There is no easy way to get rich quick. The surest way to provide for your needs, the surest way to provide for the needs of people you love is to work diligently over time, to realize there's no magical way to make a lot of money, that it happens one day at a time, one project at a time, one sale at a time. Proverbs 11.1 1 says that the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find, measure, find favor with Him. This refers to a business practice of that day, that you would buy things by weight, similar to how we still buy fruits and vegetables at the store. And what some of the merchants had figured out how to do was to tinker with the scale a little bit so you would actually be paying for more than you had bought, and that was called a dishonest scale. And so this verse is pointing out that not only is it important that we work diligently, the Scripture is commending us to have ethics in our work, to have integrity in our work, that these are important as well. These also matter. I mean, because if you go about your job immorally or unethically, and then you pray, God, please bless me in my work, is God going to, like, be overly excited to jump at that opportunity? Plus, a lot of what happens in the dark, it eventually comes to light. So at some point, these dishonest scales, whatever those are in your profession, at some point, these dishonest scales will be found out. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. If you all just excuse me for one minute. Note to self use the term sluggard as often as possible. So, in the Bible, a a sluggard is somebody who is lazy, somebody who does not want to work. And Solomon says that sluggards could learn from ants. In fact, all of us could learn from ants. How does an ant prepare for winter? One crumb at a time right? You're having a picnic, you drop a crumb, the ant carries it away. I'm eating at the Taco Bell, I drop a crumb, what happens? The ant carries it away, if the rat didn't get to it first. I'm getting hungry just using that illustration for lunch. I'm very excited for lunch. And this is what ants do, that ants just one crumb at a time carry away what they will need for the winter. So when the winter arrives, they had what they need, but not because of some magic plan the week before, one crumb at a time. They worked day after day after day. The point being that there's really no magical way to make a lot of money. The chief way to provide for our needs and the needs of those under our care is to work diligently day after day after day. We are assembling crumbs through diligent ethical work. Number two, ingredients of well-managed finances. Number two is generosity to God's work and those in need. Generosity to God's work and those in need. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is a strange combination of ingredients. Diligent and ethical work coupled with generosity to God's work and those in need. That wouldn't have been the first two things I would have thought of, uh, thinking how to manage finances well, but these are Proverbs' two overwhelming, overarching points. Diligent ethical work over time, giving to God's work and those in need. God is pointing out to us the importance of coupling a sweaty brow with an open hand, that through the open hand of generosity, we help others, but in some strange way, we ourselves are also helped. So sometimes you will hear the expression, give until it hurts. I think what the Bible teaches is more give until it feels good. Proverbs eleven twenty six says, people curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. That's an interesting point. I mean, you think about Mr. Scrooge. How many people do you think were praying for God to bless Mr. Scrooge? Probably not very many, certainly at the beginning of the story. Maybe praying that someone would empty their chamber pot on Mr. Scrooge, but not praying that God would bless Mr. Scrooge. But people do pray for God to bless those who don't hoard what they have, who are willing to share what they have, who are willing to sell what they have, who are willing to give what they have, so that others can have some as well. Now, this may be disconcerting to you, I don't know, but I'll just be the first to admit, I don't know how all the ins and outs work when someone prays for God to bless you. I don't know how all that works. I was not at that planning meeting, so I do not know how the intricacies of it work. But I do know this it cannot hurt. It cannot hurt for someone to pray that God would bless you. No bad outcome could come from that. This theme continues in Proverbs nineteen seventeen, which says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. For those of you who have or will bring in these school supplies, remember Proverbs 19.17. Because throughout the Bible, it is clear that God takes a special interest in the welfare of those who are in poverty. Solomon points out then that when you help someone experiencing poverty, God takes special note of that. You have done something to help someone that God has a special place in His heart for. And again, I don't know how all the ins and outs of that work, but I know that it cannot hurt. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is part of the passage Georgia read for us earlier. The idea here was in that day and time, you would harvest a field, and you would take the first fruits of that crop, typically 10%, with some allowances made for those in poverty, and you would give it to the priest as an offering to God you were recognizing that the whole harvest was a gift from God. Yes, you worked diligently to actually harvest the field, but the reason there was anything to harvest in the first place was because of God. And so the first 10% would go back to God to acknowledge that you and I were dependent on God and to say thank you to God. And then something began to happen. People began to think, you know, God doesn't need that first 10% nearly as much as I do. And so, folks started to hold on a little bit tighter to these first fruits offerings that they were bringing. And so, throughout the Old Testament, you will find example of example of example of people saying, don't become more tight-fisted about this. Give to God that whole first fruit. Give the whole thing and God will take care of the rest. Don't hold back from giving to God, but trust God to take care of the rest. Now, the people in the Old Testament did not harp on this. They did not try to argue people into doing this. They just stated it plainly. They had a high confidence in God that instead of taking down the percentage of what you or I give to God and to God's work, take that percentage up. Instead of becoming more tight-fisted in our generosity, become more open-handed in our generosity. Say thank you to God and see what happens. The old preachers used to say it this way they would say, You cannot outgive God. It's one of the best old expressions. You cannot outgive God. When you and I cannot figure out how to make our finances work, so one of the things we sort of instinctively do is we hold on tighter. But what Proverbs is teaching is that's not the way out of the issue. Counterintuitively, the way out is to hold on less tightly, to be more generous to giving to God's work, to those in need, to your church family, to ministries, to missionaries, because you cannot outgive God. But sometimes we cannot receive what God is trying to give us because our hands are clenched. So through the open hand of generosity, not only are we more willing to give, but we are in a better place to receive that which God would like to give us. Try it and see if God does not provide for your needs. Number three, ingredients of well-managed finances, number three is cautiousness about debt, cautiousness about debt. Proverbs eleven fifteen says, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, But whoever refuses to shake hands in pledge is safe. So the first part of the passage is saying that it's not going to go well for you if you co-sign a loan for a stranger. These are some ancient practices we can lose the meaning of. But the first part is essentially saying it's not wise to co-sign a loan for a stranger because why did they need a co-signer in the first place? Maybe because they plan to take you up on your offer of paying the debt they just incurred. And then the passage finishes up by saying, it's safest to not take on any debt in the first place. That's what it means to shake hands in a pledge, to take on debt, to take on a loan. Now, we must be very clear. The Bible does not say that debt is wrong, but the Bible does say debt is not always wise. Proverbs is pointing out debt should be the exception, not the rule. What's the rule? The rule is work diligently and ethically over time. Be generous to God's work and those in need. And otherwise, live within your means. That's how your finances begin to bring you more joy and less anxiety. That's how you live well and live wisely in your finances. Work diligently and ethically over time. Give generously to God's work and those in need and otherwise live within your means. And then as the exception, not the rule, you can take on debt for specific projects, specific things, specific uh, opportunities, for instance. But Proverbs is warning us against using debt as a fallback plan because we can't live within our means. Right? At some point, the debt's going to come due. So, if revenue is here and expenses are here, Proverbs is really saying three good options. One, get revenue to here. Two, get expenses to here. Three, meet them in the middle. And then you and I can use debt for specific purposes, specific projects, with a plan for how to pay it off. How are we doing? Three down, one to go. One to go. Okay, no no one's asleep. Good. Okay. Number four, Number four, number, 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 number four, well-managed finances come through knowledge of assets, not obsession for wealth. Knowledge of assets, not obsession for wealth. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. In other words, know what you have. <laughs> know what God has put you in charge of. Now, I'll just be the first to admit about sermons out of the book of Proverbs. They're not like, you usually don't go home from these and be like, oh my gosh, I, I wept through that sermon. Proverbs is sort of like the meat and potatoes book of the, of the Bible. It may not be your favorite meal, but you need to eat it every once in a while. And that's kind of how this whole thing is. So, so this last point is to have a knowledge of what God has entrusted to you. So, for instance, uh, could you ballpark me the, the next few numbers I ask for? How much do you make a month? How much do you spend a month? How much do you have in the bank? How much do you have saved for retirement? How much principal do you owe on your house if you're trying to buy your house? How much principal do you owe on it? How much non-mortgage debt do you have? How much do you give to God's work, those in need, ministries, missionaries? Now, those may not be like the magic seven numbers to know, but that's seven good ones to start with. I'll say them again. How much do you make a month? How much do you spend a month? How much do you have in the bank? How much do you have saved for retirement? How much uh, principal do you owe on your house if you're trying to buy your house? How much non-mortgage debt do you have? How much do you give to God's work, to those in need, to ministries, to missionaries? But whatever numbers you decided were important, you say, here's the numbers I think are important. And then every month you look at how we're doing. Are we moving in the right direction or are we moving in the wrong direction? The Bible is saying there's nothing bad or unspiritual about having a clear sense of what God has entrusted to you financially in terms of resources. I wish there was some magical way uh, to take control of our finances, but the point of this sermon, as you've probably sort of realized by now, is that this is really boring There's like no magical, exciting way to take control of your finances. It happens by piling one good and informed decision on top of 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 one good and informed decision, decision, day after day, month after month, year after year, until at some point you look up and say, look at what God has blessed me with. Look at this pile of crumbs that God has blessed me with. It may be a little pile of crumbs. It may be a big pile of crumbs. But look at this pile of crumbs God has blessed me with. What a privilege to be generous with this. Now compare that to Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Last week I gave this sermon at um, Lake Forest in Huntersville. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, so it, let me make sure I understand right. The whole point was that um, there's no like magic way to take control of your finances. It's actually really crummy. And I, okay, that's a clever play on words, but I was, I, I was ready for lunch, so I, I kept walking. <laughs> it was a coworker of mine. Don't worry, don't worry. Proverbs twenty three, four and five says this Do not wear out Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Often an obsession to get rich leads us in the wrong direction. We spend so much time thinking about money that we fail to pile one good informed decision on one good informed decision on one good informed decision. Riches are not the goal of life. Riches are not the the measure of how well that you have lived. How much money you accumulate during your time on earth is not the measure of whether or not you lived well. Ultimately, the scripture says, it's your relationship with God that's the measure of how well you lived your life. And thus Proverbs thirty seven to 9 says, Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you, and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. That's Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. The point being that finances are an important part of life, but they are not the most important part of life. The most important thing in life is what we do with God, and that in fact finances have the ability to lead us away from God. That rich people may be tempted to say, I don't need God, I have all this money to make me secure, and I definitely don't need God telling me to be generous with it. And those who are poor, or those who think they are poor, may be tempted to cast aside God's instructions and cut corners in the pursuit of more money. Finances have the ability to lead us away from God, and the opposite is also true, that finances can be part of how we get closer to God, especially if our finances today are completely out of control. This can be part of how we draw closer to God, because we humble ourselves before God and we turn this area of life over to God, and thus our finances can ultimately be something that draws closer to God, that causes us to depend more on God, to be closer to God. And as that makes us a more generous person, it may cause us not simply to love God more, but to love other people more, to see the people in our lives, whether they have more money or less money than we do, to see them as God's beloved creations, with their worth, their their inherent worth, knit into them. So that our finances can actually be an avenue through which we come to love God more and love other people more. That our finances, I pray this is true for you, I pray this is true for me, our finances could become an area of life that move us closer to God, that help us love God more, that help us love other people more deeply. The proverb with which I began, do you sort of remember it, maybe the the essence of it? It said, essentially, there's somebody who appears rich but doesn't actually have anything. Then there's the person who appears poor, but they have great wealth. What I was struck by, and I didn't have a chance to put it in my sermon, so now I'm just going to add it here at the end. What I'm struck by is that I think that proverb found its completion in Jesus. That that at the center point of the Christian faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That in fact God is not distant, that God came near, that God took on human flesh and became Jesus. He lived a perfect life, but then died an unjust death, died in our place so that we would not have to experience the judgment of God, but could instead receive the mercy of God. And then He rose into new and eternal life so that His followers can do the same too, rise up into new and eternal life. But if you were to see Jesus at His moment of death, His moment of dying on the cross, you would say, there is a person who has nothing. There is a person who has been abandoned. There is a person who has been forsaken. And that would be the appearance of it. But there is a person who pretends to be poor even though he has great wealth. There is a person who appears to have nothing though he created the world that just undid him. There is a person who appears to be defeated but has actually just done the defeating. So central to the Christian faith is that proverb, that there is an appearance, but there is also the reality. And are you and I people whose lives are based on appearance or on reality, on perception or on substance? Jesus invites us to be people of substance, who are not afraid of humility, who are not afraid of being humble, not afraid of being humbled. And our finances, for some of us, have a way of doing that of humbling us, getting us to the place where we realize we can't do this apart from God. We've tried it our way, now we're going to try it God's way. We've tried this apart from God, now we're going to try it with God. We're going to get away from the sense of appearance to move to being people of substance. So, here's my wrap-up question for you. How do your finances or how could your finances lead you closer to God and to a life of generosity? How do or how could your finances lead you closer to God and to a life of generosity? Proverbs has a lot to say about some of the nuts and bolts of this. You've seen a lot of Proverbs. Uh, Gabe deserves an award, may need finger therapy for all the slides he's had to change today. There's a lot of Proverbs about this but don't miss the headline, which is that God has been so generous to you and desires you to be a generous person as well. You won't get from where you are to there overnight, one step at a time. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance in this moment to pray, to talk with God, or to listen to God about whatever it is that's been stirring in your heart or in your mind. Wherever this service has intersected with your life, just spend some time in prayer. Lord, within our church family, this morning, there, there have to be all kinds of situations. Relationships or marriages where one person wants to do finances this way and the other wants to do it a different way. Those who are concerned about their employment or in the midst of a job search. Lord, some of us our finances that is just it's it's crazy. It's more like a wrestling match than than a balance sheet. And so Lord, wherever we are within all of that, I pray we would come to the one who appeared to be poor but created the world. To the feet of the crucified and the resurrected Jesus. To humbly place before you our needs, our concerns, our failings, and to ask that we could pick these things up together. I pray we might set this area of our life, or maybe our entire life if we've never done that, at the feet of Jesus. and say, I'm ready to live your way. Help me do that one step at a time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.